Welcome to the Leader Spotlight. On this podcast, we bring you the stories of leaders, their personal journeys, and we put a spotlight on the inspiring things they are doing in their organizations. Hello, everyone. I'm Annette Klozowski. I'm an executive coach, a speaker, a peer advisory board leader, and lover of all animals. If you've listened for very long, you know I have a love for animals. And I want to welcome for the second episode, my new co-host, Addison Price. Hello, Annette. I'm excited for another episode. I know. It's a good one. We're talking with Pamela Kahn, president of Bishop Weiscarver. She is going to be talking about succession in family businesses and kind of her journey. She is very wise. I've just watched her kind of through these last several years of her career. She's been on the California Governor's Office of Business and Economic Development. She is on the Executive Committee and the Board of Directors for the California Manufacturing Technology Association. She's on the Board of Directors for the National Association of Manufacturing. She has gone to the Harvard Business School of Executive Education, the Kellogg School. I mean, she is brilliant and dynamic and does some great things in the manufacturing space. So I'm excited to have her here. Today, we're going to focus on the succession and family businesses. She will be coming along and I know you have an exciting announcement. Yes, I do. Before we begin today's episode, I want to share new opportunities that we have for our listeners. So Leader Spotlight will be starting a Get Quoted series to give all of our listeners a chance to weigh in on hot topics. So if you follow Leader Spotlight on Instagram, you'll get more information about how to get quoted. I'm excited for that. And I can't wait to see what all of our followers and listeners think. I know we get to share wisdom. So the wisdom of the crowd, as they say. So I'm excited about that too. Yes. Well, welcome, Pamela. It's great to see you today and, and be able to talk with you. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you. And I'm very honored, Annette, to be here and well, look forward to having a chat with you today. I know. I know. It was kind of a, a good spot in my day. Well, I like to start off with just hearing kind of your story, your path to where you are. I think that's a lot of our listeners really find those stories fascinating. So kind of walk us through, how did you end up at the helm of Bishop Weiscarver? Well, I was bored. All right. <laughs> so Bishop Weiscarver, is a, it's a family business. My, my dad started the company in 1950, but I didn't have any designs on ever working there. I worked there in high school for a bit. But I have three older brothers that are seven, 10, and 12 years older. So I really, really felt the family business was their domain. So I went off to school. I had a degree specifically in retail business. I worked for Carter Halley Hale, which is the uh, parent company that owns Neiman Marcus, is probably the most famous store. And at the time, they owned a whole bunch of department stores. And I did an internship with them in college. Then I went to work for them. And then um, they they had some hostile takeover bids and they got into junk bond debt. And when the market crashed in 89, 90, they couldn't service the debt and they uh, split the company in half and uh, put the department store division into bankruptcy, sold it to Federated. They all became Macy's. But at that time, I was a buyer for them in the Emporium, the Northern California department store chain. 
and we were a beta site for IBM. It was black screen with, you know, blinking green text. But because of that, I knew the company was a sinking ship because I was doing what we call our open to buy or a budget. It was starting to be a daily thing of moving money around. So I knew the company was not solvent. And so I went to my dad and I told him that I really wasn't comfortable as a buyer. I bought fine crystal and silver, placing these POs that at this point I knew nobody was going to get paid on. Mm-hmm. And so uh, California had passed a law, SB 198, which the media called Be a Manager Go to Jail Act. And it required companies to write an injury and illness prevention program, IIPP. And one of my brothers, who was the foreman at the time, told my dad, I'm not going to do anything I can go to jail for or be responsible for anything I could go to jail for. So my dad said, hey, I don't really have a job for you, but you can come out and do this one project. And so I said, sure, I don't know how to write a safety program, but I just ran, you know, a multi-million dollar group of stores. And so I think I can figure this out. So I came to the company and now 30 years later, I am the sole owner and president of the company. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, we're going to get into kind of the story of the company and I, I kind of have questions for that. Um, And I know we could talk just like you're a really good strategic thinker because I love the way you think. But today we're going to focus really on succession in a family business and and kind of start there. So I love how you came to the company. Were you passionate about the company? I mean, I know you kind of stepped in. It's a family business. What did that look like? No, I wasn't passionate at all. In fact, I had worked out there one summer and I actually, I worked on the production floor. It was so immensely boring to me. I fell asleep operating the machines. (laughs) It was not good. My dad was not very happy with me. I kept waking up when my uh, knuckles would hit the grinding wheel. I was grinding uh, um, casting spurs off of a part. Uh, It was very motivating to me that I never, ever wanted to work in that type of a role. But, you know, we do industrial automation solutions. It, why I loved business, it wasn't a business I was interested in. But what did capture me going there was the fact that I was part of the generation where, as I said, computers were, were I grew up with technology growing up. Mm-hmm. So I scaled with it as it grew. And I, and I was always fascinated by it. So for me coming in from being, which was very unheard of at the time, I did everything at my job online on a quote unquote intranet. We already had what we would call email now. It, you know, it was very primitive at the time being a beta site for IBM, but I was very comfortable with it. So coming into my dad's company, it was archaic to me. You know, they still had, you know, a telex machine. They were taking inventory manually on what's called Cardex files. There was, to your point, I'm very strategic. There was no sales plan. It took three months to close the books. So you don't, we didn't even know what we sold in January till March. Those type of things, I like solving those kind of problems. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of opportunity to start leveraging technology in the company. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you've done done that. Well, that's that's a different show, but we should talk about <laughs> what you've done and where you're going because uh, that's kind of exciting. Well, we'll talk a little bit about the ups and downs. You know, kind of share just what you've gone through um, through succession and probably having other family members involved and you know, and even just the struggle probably with, you know, your dad and change and, you know, best practices and, you know, should people consider their kids? You know, we don't have a kid that cares about our business, unfortunately. (laughs) Maybe they'll marry somebody that'll care. I don't know, but right now. I think you definitely should. And I I actually have a, a, uh, a speech I did for Tugboat Institute and a, a paper as well as to not only should you consider your kids, but I, but, you know, please consider your daughter, even if it's a non-female traditional industry, here's why you should consider your daughter as well as your son. So I'm definitely an advocate for it. But like you said, it is it is a treacherous road doing succession within a family. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, my family is a case study on how not to do succession. So today I'll be talking about, you know, best practices that I learned on the journey because it, you know, it came from the school of hard knocks. So what are those? Share some of those best practices. Well, I would say first and foremost, succession is not fair. And as a parent, and I'm not a parent, so I'll just, but I'll say as a parent, if you're going to try to be fair with succession, I would say you're already at risk of creating real damage to your family and or the business because succession can't be fair. It can't be fair and have it work for the family and or the company. That's one thing I learned. And that's one thing my dad did. My dad was a very sweet man. And he basically told each one of my brothers, if you come out there and you do a good job, you can run the business. Well, you can't have three people running the business. Mm -hmm. And there was a time when actually all four kids were there and it was an extremely toxic scenario for the family as well as the employees at the time, because my brothers all felt entitled to the promise of my father that the, but there's no way the three, number one, just with our family dynamics. I mean, you've heard of some companies where it's been two people, very rare where it's three people sharing the top role. And that was definitely not going to happen with the dynamics between my brothers And so because my dad didn't want to select based upon capacity and ability to do the role, like I said, it all just imploded really, really badly. And um, so first and foremost, I would say is to set the ground rule if you want your kids to come into the business that they can come into the business, but any role that they do has to be based upon, you know, capacity and ability to do the role like any employee at the company. To, mm-hmm. to put a kid in a role just because they have the, you know, a certain last name is not a good strategy any way you look at it. So that would be first. Second thing is, I think for me, what was really important versus some of my brothers is I had a career prior to coming to the company. It wasn't really long, but I went out, I established my own identity. I, you know, I, I rose and grew through several jobs and titles and had a very clear set of my own skill set with feedback from people who weren't my family members as to my capacity and my ability to do certain jobs. And I think that's really critical 
that before they come, you know, they could work summer jobs or those type of things, but before they really have a full-time active role, they, I think it's very important to have them go out and have their own career, establish their own professional identity before joining the family business. Yeah, I think that's really key. I think that's really key. So those are those would be the top two things to start with. And then after that, it a lot of it de- depends upon the family dynamics. What what was the communication structure? Because I know in families, it, it happens, you know, my husband and I, you, you know, Scott, we're in business together. And so you, you tend to have a lot of business conversations at home or informal, which not necessarily the best. You said it imploded. What was the communication like and how did you get that back to a place that's best and, and well, best for the company. You know, how'd you get that going? I wouldn't say that that actually ever got fixed or repaired, unfortunately, in my family. And I think at least with you and Scott, you both are active in the business and have a sense. You know, my parents were more traditional. My dad ran the company. My mom was at home. So she would be the quote unquote pillow talk right? She had her Mm -hmm. opinions, but they were actually removed. She was not actually at the business. She wasn't really seeing what was happening in real time. And uh, we had a culture. My dad, one of the things is as a family, six o'clock, we all ate dinner together. So from my earliest memories are talking about what happened in the business that day. So my dad would come home. We'd all have dinner together. We'd talk about what was happening at work. And, and so that was my mom's perspective on the company. What happened as this all started to implode is each child is going to her with their story. And there's dynamics, especially between a mom and her boys. But my dad was the one at work actually dealing with the dynamic. And so then that created friction because she's either advocating, you know, trying to stick up for a child, but she wasn't there to witness the actual dynamics happening in the workplace. And so that was an issue as well, Mm -hmm. for sure. So when did you step in kind of at the helm and take over to be able to make the decisions? Because I'm guessing that's when you started making tough decisions. Yeah, uh, yeah. To get the company back, you know, to where you thought it needed to be. <laughs> well, um, so some things happened with my brothers that obviously affected my career. My things got so bad that my oldest brother actually left the company and left the family, you know, which I feel is really sad. I, you know, I, I understand that in many ways the business was like the fifth child for my dad. I just think it's tragic to lose actually a relationship with a child over that. Mm-hmm. And, and I watched that happen. So my parents have, you know, had no relationship with my oldest brother from the time he, la- he left the company. And he had, he had come back and forth working there several times. But the last time, like I said, he left the company, he left the family. And my parents basically said, you're out as well. And, you know, that's, that's hard for a family to recover from. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even though he was so much older than I, you know, it's still, to me, it was a very sad thing to see happen. And then uh, there was dynamics with my other brothers that independent of what I was doing, I think that's probably the other thing is my dad had a partner, Mr. Bishop. Mr. Bishop was all things business side of the business, right? The sales, the marketing, the accounting, all of that. My dad, I'm a wise carver, 
was all things manufacturing and engineering. My brothers always came into the side of the business that were identified with my dad. My challenge is I was coming into the side of the business that was identified with Mr. Bishop. And when I came in, I had my own challenges because a wise carver had never, ever worked in the office. And there was, even though Mr. Bishop had retired at this time, employees really loyal to him. And it felt disloyal to him to have a wise carver on that side of the business. So my challenge was I had people who actually wouldn't speak to me or acknowledge me. I, you know, there were some people it took until I was there, I think around two years before they even spoke to me. It was just very upsetting to them. I was trying so hard to fit in on that side of the business. I wasn't too focused on all the dynamics happening between my brothers out on the production side of the business, other than just like any other employee hearing about, you know, the the disruptions that were happening and the arguments between them and between them, between my dad, all of that. So that was kind of my, my tough challenge. And because of that, I think as well, I did not have the dynamic with my father of being in his lane, mm-hmm. right? My brothers were trying to come into the side of the business and make themselves known for something that was identified with as the founder's lane. I think that's really hard. In some ways, I think I had it easy because I was, I was not competing with any skill set of my dad. Mm-hmm. I was only competing against the memory of his partner. And that had some challenges, but it, I wasn't going directly head to head in any type of a power struggle with my father. Well, hearing you talk, it really does start at the top. I mean, like any kind of succession, if, if the top people are paving that way with communication, opening the doors, you know, people are probably more accepting of that. And then you put a dynamic of family in there on top of it without the communication, it would get really messy. You know, yeah. I mean, you yeah. can take the family out. It without, gets messy yeah. easy, yeah. very easily. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so that's why I think that clear you communicate the boundaries to coming into, like here are the ground rules to coming in, the younger, you know, to as young as your kids can be to start hearing about that. So I, I highly recommend the John Ward program at Kellogg um, at Northwestern. It really saved my sanity going through that. It's a way more robust program than when I went through, but I went through at the time they had governing the family business and mm, I can't remember the second class that they did, but that really, that is what gave me this structure to put in place mm-hmm. to um, start to really clearly define the role of the family in the business. That really gave me a great tool set to use was to be a part of that and learning best practices. So like I was saying with SC Johnson, that was one thing, same thing. He had four children. Very clearly, he said to them from the very beginning, they had a family meeting, which was different than being a shareholder or even in the business. They operated with a family meeting. That's another best practice you can do where you're sharing with your kids about the business, but they don't have roles. But within that structure, he told them all, there's no guarantee any of you will run this company. And even if that does happen, it will only be one of you and it'll be solely based on the capacity to do that role. You are guaranteed no role in this family business unless 
you actually bring something to the table in the role. And he made that really clear. And each kid kind of picked their lane. I mean, the son ultimately did become, succeeded as father. The daughter, real outdoors person, she took the outdoor division where they have the sales bo boats and Coleman and, you know, all of the camping gear. Another daughter had really no business desires. And so she went into the foundation for the family and, and did that. And so it was very clear to them what the rules of the game were from the time they were really young children. So there was no expectation on their part of, you know, like in my family where they could all be the boss. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you wouldn't do that with anybody else that you were trying to bring into the company it just right. when it becomes family then all of a sudden you know it gets and, yeah like it, I said just, I'm not a parent but I, I know it must be hard as a parent to tell a child I love that you want to be in the business but you don't have the capacity like you don't bring a capacity or a skill set that the company can can use that's a tough conversation I get that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well now fast forward because you've gone through a lot of, of that you've reinvented and what I would say kind of what the company is doing and where you're going. Talk a little bit about that and um, just, you know, I, I think there is value to having that multi-generational presence um, there. So talk a little bit of, just about, you know, you've kind of made it through the, the desert <laughs> through that tough time. <laughs> you're on the other side. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I had no desire and no, and no plans to stay as long as I ended up staying. I, I really thought I would go back to retail, but I think because it was in my blood growing up in this family, I had already decided I wanted to go back to the manufacturing side. I had offers out to go work on the manufacturing side with Mikasa and Waterford and a couple other companies in that space. But retail, it's, it's, it's kind of back then was going through a lot of consolidation. And a lot of them were buying up each other. It was just really, really unstable. So I kept saying, I'm going to wait a little bit longer till it stabilizes, till I see how this is going to go. And it really never stabilized because after the issue with the markets and all of that is when we started to have the rise of com. And then we started to go to the internet. And then we started having the ability for people to buy direct and it really just changed the face of, of retail. And so I never, I realized it was not something that I wanted to go back to. But by then I had risen to the point where I was starting to actually have my own autonomy. Um, I was enjoying working with my father. My father worked six to seven days a week until I was in high school. And even in high school, if he wasn't working, it was because as a family, we were water skiing. So it was like the one day I got to see him. My, my dad built our boat and actually built my first water ski, you know, and that was time with dad. And part of the appeal for me was, I, you know, was this was time to work with my dad. And like I said, you know, maybe it's the father-daughter dynamic, but, you know, while we still had our challenges, I really enjoyed having that time with him because I didn't see him a lot growing up. I mean, his time was really invested in the company. So as I was rising in my role and I had more and more autonomy, I was enjoying it more and more. And then to your point, because I had a skill set that wasn't my dad's 
in many areas, like in technology, he didn't know more than me, right? Mm -hmm. So like when I said, we need to have a domain and he's like, what's a domain? (laughs) Okay, well, we need to have an internet address. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and especially back then in, in, in the B2B, industrial B2B space, No one would have thought that you would ever use computers or the internet, but I knew that wasn't going to be true. So, you know, I was able to go to my dad and make a compelling case for some of these changes I thought were really vital. So, you know, we have a three-letter URL, you know, a lot of people don't remember when the internet started, that's all you could have. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I talk to younger kids now, they're like, no. And I'm like, yes, you only could have three letters, you know? And, um, you know, so we have bwc.com. And, and I think I just slowly started gaining credibility because as I started to make these changes in the company and change the marketing, and as you said, actually start to have a strategy, the company started growing. So then it's hard to kind of say, well, what she's doing isn't working, right? Mm-hmm. And and so as I started to layer on, I mean, there were it was a lot of little steps, but it started to be where my dad just more and more basically said, you know, that's your sandbox. You do whatever you want to do. I'm just going to stay out with the machines and designing products and that type of thing. So we were able to cohabitate really easy together. Yeah, that's good. So now you kind of fast forward, you, you're the only family person now, right? So yeah. you've, you've completely kind of exited out with family and moving on. So what, what's the next phase for Bishop Weisberger? Yeah. Yeah. So when I became president, um, you know, by this time, my oldest brother had, you know, sort of left the family and uh, I thought good chance he really doesn't want the stock that he he owned. And so I reached out to him and I, I bought his stock quite a few years ago, but I still had two brothers left. And um, and I and I think I realized for the health of the company, when especially in a family dynamic with the structure we had at the time, to have two non-working family members that held stock, that had worked there for a period of time, that had strong ideas as to how the company should be run, strong ideas as to whether or not they should still be involved with the company, that really for the long-term success of the company, it was best to buy them out. And so that was was a year-long process, but I bought them out with the great timing of buying them out in January of 2020. <laughs> so, um, you know, and that took that took a lot of resources, took a lot of cash to buy them out. And I was like, woohoo, this is great because, you know, now it's really my baby and I can really start to put my strategy in place. I don't have any Monday morning quarterbacks from my brothers, you know, and then COVID hit in March. So um, it's it's, it's been an interesting ride since then. But, you know, where where I want to be taking the company is, you know, as I said, we are, we are an industrial B2B company. We make industrial solutions for linear and rotary automation, which sounds really fancy, but basically we help machines and processes move back and forth, up and down and around. We are very much in the spirit of what my dad built, a mechanical company. But as I said, I really have a love of technology. And so what you see now is technology coming into our space and providing more of what we call a value-add solution. So it's not just a mechanical solution, it's also an electrical 
solution and it's a control solution and it's a sensor solution. And when you put all these new elements of technology around the mechanical, it's what they call mechatronics. And so you, you know, you put all the, all of the technology wrapped around that. And so that's really where I want to go. And so we have this core skill set of being fabulous with mechanical. I mean, customers know us, trust us for solving mechanical solutions. We're actually very good, as you probably can start to hear, I'm an early adopter of technology. So those things on the computer side, we've been doing very well for years, having, you know, CAD, having automated processes, doing EDI, you know, the full website, having DIY tools, all of those type of things we're, we're really good at. But we're, we don't have all the skill sets we need, as I said, in the electrical controller motor side. So um, that's very much the focus is rounding out and bringing in those skill sets and capabilities into the business and, you know, just really keeping the company relevant with where automation is going. And COVID just, you know, double tapped on that even more because everybody's automating now in order yeah. to take you know, people out of processes. So, so it's great. COVID and the impact of COVID has been stressful, especially on supply chain, but the opportunities and the, and the type of applications we're working on now, really, really fun and exciting uh, as we, as we start to marry more and more of these technologies together around our mechanical solutions. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun to watch you just kind of from where, when I first, you know, was introduced <laughs> to you to where you go, cause you're, you're, you're great at that. I mean, you're a great leader and you have great vision. So that we can, we'll have to have you back on and, and just talk about that. But at the end, I always ask people who they're for are, because I truly believe who people have around them. Um, you know, mm. you, you mentioned a couple of times, which is one thing I love about you is, you know, you go find the resources, you educate yourself, you go to programs to learn, okay, how do you, how do we do this family business thing? Right. Mm -hmm. you, you, you just have that in you. So who are the four people that you kind of had around you kind of throughout your career that you feel like have had a big impact for you? Yeah, I, I'm going to do more groups than people. And, and first I will say, especially in my space, I've been really lucky, your husband being one of them, that I have had fa fabulous male mentors. Um, gentlemen who really want to truly see me succeed and make a difference in my space, especially as a woman running an engineering services in a manufacturing company and can't say enough about all of them. But as I already said today, you know, that, that governing the family business, the whole family enterprise program at Kellogg at Northwestern was life-saving. And there are some other programs at other colleges across the country, but really, really can't speak enough about that one. And then I'm really glad I put together an advisory board. Like you said, I think I don't want to try to pretend to know everything. And I really look for what's the gaps in my skill sets and my thinking. And so I have run with an advisory board pretty much since I became president. I've had an advisory board in place because I don't want to have myopic thinking. I want to make sure I have a group of people around challenging me and my decisions. And that's been invaluable. The last is as a privately held second generation family business, I have gotten so much support and so much knowledge from being in the Tugboat Institute. It is a group of 
um, it is all privately held companies. So multi-generational family businesses or ESOPs that have seven P's, seven principles that basically are very employee centric. And it's an amazing group of people. And it has helped me so much on my journey of running a privately held company, learning how to scale a privately held company. Once again, just amazingly giving transparent community. And then the last I would say is my grandmother. My grandmother, Wise Carver, my dad's mom, we called her Cookie. Her name was Constance, but we called her Cookie. She lived to be 101. And she was an amazing role model to me because she did everything that women weren't supposed to do. And she did it as a lady. Like she didn't give up her values as a lady. She bought her ticket to go to war and was a nurse in World War I, which I didn't even realize that's how nursing worked in the war. The women actually didn't get paid to go by the government. The women had to pay they, their own way to go get to Europe to be the nurses, which I found that's once that again, that's a very interesting thing. Yeah. She went behind enemy lines in France to nurse the soldiers. She won medals, which we didn't know about till she threw them away. <laughs> I mean, she just was that kind of a person. She got married very late in life. I have like newspaper clippings where they, you know, called her the spinster, right? Okay. Because she was like 30 something years old when she got married. That was unheard of in yeah. her generation because she was born in 1888. So if you think about it, like that was that was amazingly old at the time, right? Yeah. She then divorced my my grandfather. Nobody did that back then either. I mean, it was one thing if the man divorced, but the woman, did, you know. So she did all these things that were just not what women did. She was wicked smart. She played bridge literally almost till the end, but. You know, we go camping and she was in pearls, hose, a dress and heels, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but she was just, you know, and she was just a really good person. You know, you'd meet her and you would get a birthday card for life from her. You know, she just, she just was, um, you know, a real, well, real bright light in the world. She was great. And my dad adored her. So, you know, I just learned a lot from her that how, where you, how far you can make it in life when you're, when you're just truly just nice to everybody. She yeah. was a great role model, but she stood up for herself at the same time and she did what was right for her. Those are great. Those are great. Well, thank you so much, Pamela. It was great to talk with you and I really do appreciate you taking time and reminiscing a little bit Yeah. yeah. so we can all learn. <laughs> I hope I was of help and anybody listening to this, uh, I don't know if you post contact information, but I definitely understand the pains and challenges of multi-generational family businesses. So more than happy to chat with anybody listening to this. Okay. That would be great. Like some yes, help. we will absolutely post how to get in contact with you in the notes. So, okay. All right. The Leader Spotlight podcast and blog is dedicated to continual learning and thought partnerships that help us all grow as leaders. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, email addison at fpov.com. And you can also visit our blog at medium.com slash leader spotlight for more great content.